The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Our sermon text for today is from Luke chapter 6, verses 39 to 42. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not about his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. This is the word of the Lord. This morning is the fourth of five weeks that we're going to spend on the Sermon on the Plain in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6. And remember, Jesus is delivering this sermon to his disciples with a large crowd gathered around him. And so far, Jesus has taught the disciples of their present and future happiness, their blessedness in his kingdom. And he's contrasted that with the misery of those who are outside of his kingdom. He's called his disciples to be like God in loving their enemies and being merciful people, forgiving others and not having a critical spirit. And now in verse 39, Jesus brings the sermon to a close. In verse 39 says, and he also told them a parable. And what follows is not one parable, but uh, but many, um, actually there's five parables in the broad sense. Uh, some of them are, are like proverbs, axioms, and uh, some are parables in the, in the sense of an extended metaphorical story. But what we're going to do is we're going to focus on the, the, the next three this morning, and then next Sunday we'll finish the Sermon on the Plain with the last two of those five being a tree and its fruit and the house on the rock. So this morning, I've got three. We're going to start at verse 39, and I've titled these, number one, the blind leader, number two, the aspiring student, and number three, the helpful hypocrite. And my aim, I had to push back on this and think, okay, what's my aim this morning? You know, what's, what's Jesus aiming at here in this passage and the phrase that came to my mind was, it's common in the Apostle Paul's epistles. At least five times he, he says, I'm going to read one of them. He says something like this, 1 Thessalonians 2.11. Paul says to the church, For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So that's where my mind went. I thought, well, what's the aim here? The aim would be that we would walk, live in a manner worthy, in a manner that accords 
with the gospel of grace that we have received in Christ Jesus. So let me pray. Lord, help us now as we look into these these three, the text calls them parables, the blind leader, the aspiring student, and then the helpful hypocrite. Help us now. Grant that we would walk, live in a manner worthy of the gospel that accords with the grace we've received in Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So let's look at the blind leader in verse 39. Read along with me. And he also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? This is, this is an axiom. We would call this an axiom. Luke calls it a parable in the broad sense. It's a self-evidently true statement. If a blind man is leading a blind man through an area with dangerous cliffs and pitfalls and, and potholes and irregularities, sooner or later they're going to fall into one of those pits. What's the point? <laughs> what, you know, that's the question you ask after every parable. What's the point? What's the point? Wouldn't it be to his disciples, look, brothers and sisters, only follow a teacher who can see. Only follow a teacher who can see. You know, you know, seeing is this metaphor throughout the whole Bible of understanding God's word and his truth and his way. Uh, that's why what Psalm 119, 105 says, your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path, because with the word we can see where we're going. Only follow a teacher who can see. And think about it. Jesus comes into the world and, and what does he say? He says, I am the light of the world. The word made flesh. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Only follow a teacher who can see. Follow Jesus, the light of the world. Don't follow a blind teacher. Now, Jesus presses this image crystal clear against the Pharisees. Here's what he says about the Pharisees. This is Matthew 15, 14. Jesus says to his disciples, Let them alone. They are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into the pit. Same thing. And again, Matthew 23, Jesus calls the scribes and Pharisees blind guides, blind fools, because they ignore God's word and they, and they disregard and dishonor Jesus. And then Jesus says to them, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for neither you enter yourselves nor allow those who would go in after you. In other words, they both fall into the pit. Now, so push back from it. Well, we don't follow Pharisees. Today, I mean, nobody, nobody that I know says, yeah, I'm a follower of this Pharisee. We don't follow Pharisees, but think about it. 
This is a huge wake-up call. Because we live in the information age when words and teachings and perspectives and worldviews and beliefs and arguments are flooding into our thoughts through books and blogs and podcasts and tweets and clips and quotes and, lest I forget, TV and radio at a level unprecedented in human history. We have teachers galore, all of them, most all of them trying to persuade us of their way. I mean, if it was hard then. So, beware of following the blind. Rather, commit yourself to following the one who sees. It's number one. Number two, the aspiring student. Verse 40. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Okay, what's the point? When a student learns from his teacher, the student is not above the teacher in the sense that the student is not shaping the teacher as to what he ought to teach, what he ought to think, and how he ought to become. It doesn't work that way. It's, it's a warning to you. If I mean, some people come to Christ kind of looking for a spiritual aspect of their life, and then they try to use Christ to serve their thoughts, their agenda, their, their convictions, and, and as if they, as the student, could change Jesus to get on their own agenda. It doesn't work that way. The student is below the teacher in this sense. It, in the, it's the student who is trained by the teacher. And when the training reaches its full flower, the student becomes like the teacher not the other way around. I thought of an illustration of this. I've mentioned this before. But when I was a sophomore at at Bethel College, I enrolled in a systematic theology class taught by a new professor, and the rumor was that he had graduated from Harvard and Cambridge, and that made us terrified. And he was in his early 30s. If I remember right, he was 30. And... In class, you could tell he, he loved the Bible and he loved God. He loved Jesus and he loved his wife and he loved his children. And he exuded a joy in the Lord that you could have called Christian hedonism if we would have known what that phrase was. <laughs> he was happy in Jesus. And he, he didn't just teach theology. He worshiped God as we studied the Bible. In class, we sang and we prayed and we memorized scripture. We grew in our faith and in knowing God personally. And when that semester ended, I changed my major. I added a major. I added a Bible major, uh, theological and biblical studies major. And from that point on, I took every class I could. 
from Wayne Grudem. Took systematic theology, took doctrine of God, blowing my brains out with the glory of God as you stop and reflect on the different aspects of God and attributes as he's revealed in Scripture. Then I took a Christian ethics class from him, and then I had completed as many as I could take from him. But under his teaching, I grew as he modeled love for Jesus and love for God and love for his wife and children, and as he modeled the love for the Bible, and as, as I saw in the Bible the sovereign grace of God, I changed. I didn't change him. I changed And this, by, by me saying this, this is not the worship of man. <laughs> this is an, a, a praise and a thankfulness to God for giving me a man who followed Jesus in the light. So as a student, I became more like my teacher. He didn't become more like me. And together, by the grace of God, we became more like Jesus. That's the way it works. As a disciple of Jesus, we commit ourselves to following him and following his word and his truth. And ours is not to change his teaching and influence him, but rather be changed and become more and more like him. So... Beware of positioning yourself, disciple, learner, over your teacher, Jesus, your Lord and Master. Rather, humble yourself under him and under his teaching and believe him in his word and become more and more like him. That's number two. Number three, the helpful hypocrite. I'm going to spend more time on this one now. Verse 41. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. What's the point? Jesus uses this analogy to expose the all too common human tenden- tendency to proudly and eagerly point out the sins and faults and shortcomings of other people while failing to notice, ignoring self-justifying our own sins, shortcomings, and failings. I, I thought of a, I, I was laughing in my office, kind of trying to make this up. <laughs> so I thought of a, this is totally fiction, uh, illustration of this. Uh, uh, so let's say that, that my wife and I agree to cut out sugar. You know, sugar's, too much sugar's not good for you, you know that diabetes, inflammation, all kinds of reasons to stay away from too much sugar. Let's say, let's say Kathy and I agree, we are going to stay away from sugar. We're going to watch it. 
And I begin the day with no calorie Cheerios. And then while she's not looking, I take two tablespoons of sugar. That's how I used to eat them as a kid. Sugar on top. And then, and then I go to work and, oh, it's someone's birthday. Donuts? <laughs> I shouldn't. Okay, I'll have a second. And then, and then I have my lunch over the, the, the candy jar at, at, at church up here on the fourth floor. And, uh, and then I get home from, from work and, and Kathy's not there. And I think, wow, we're not going to eat for another hour. So, so I, I go into the freezer and scoop up a scoop of chocolate chip cookie dough and maybe another one. And okay, another one. And then she comes home for supper, and we have, we have steamed broccoli and, uh, and carrots. You know, they're sweet. And, and we eat together, and it's all great. And then after supper, I catch her downstairs in the freezer, taking out those frozen ginger snaps, breaking one of them in half, and, and I say, Aha! I caught you! What are you doing? We agreed. Didn't we? There it is. There it is. Kids, you got to draw this. If, if you're a kid in this room and you have a pen or a pencil, you got to draw this. Number one, draw two people. First person has an itty-bitty speck of sawdust in his eye. Second person has a big, log, big gigantic log in his eye. Get it? The, the word log is actually the word for beam, and it's like the, the, the support beam in a house. So when you think beam, think that in your eye. And then <laughs> you got the guy with the beam, and you got the guy with the speck, and then draw one of those little cartoon dialogue boxes over the top of the second man and have him say, Brother, it looks like you have something in your eye. Can I help you with that? There it is. It really connects up well with last week's warning against being critical and judgmental in our demeanors. And due to our sinful nature, it is natural for us to be outraged at the sins of others. You believe it, because our natural inclination is to justify ourselves. Well, I'm not. I'm not. My thing's not that big. It's just a blank. Given that we are so often inclined to disregard our own sins and faults and imperfections, we are disqualified to pass judgment or offer advice or correction. To others. To do so is hypocrisy unless and until we are first enabled to see our own shortcomings, our plank, and then we might humbly help our brother or sister with their faults or sins or shortcomings. Jesus says that when we act as described here, we are hypocrites. I thought, what's the hypocrisy? Wouldn't it be that when we speck point 
when we have a log in our own eye, that it reveals that we prefer to be seen as one demanding righteousness more than we pursue righteousness ourselves. There's the hypocrisy. A biblical illustration is in 2 Samuel chapter 21. Remember the account when uh, King David is confronted by Nathan the prophet. King David had lusted after Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah the Hittite, one of Israel's own soldiers. And after King David committed adultery with her, remember he saw to it that Uriah was killed in battle in an attempt to hide both his adultery and his sin and his, yeah, hiding his sin and then he covered up the murder by having it look like it happened in battle. So Nathan the prophet wisely went to David with a story. Sidebar, because you know, people can see specks in other people's eyes faster than they can see planks in their own eyes. So Nathan, Nathan goes to King David with a story. He says, well, there were two men, one rich and the other poor. And the rich man had large flocks and herds of sheep, all kinds of them. But the poor man had, reading from the text, nothing but one little ewe lamb which he had bought. And he brought it up. And it grew up with him and with his children. And it used to eat from his hand and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. And it was like a daughter to him. So the poor man has this little baby lamb. It's like a pet. Sleeping in his bed, feeding, you know, scraps from the table. It was like a daughter to him. One day a hungry traveler went to the rich man's house. And in the obligation of hospitality... The rich man set out to prepare a meal for the traveler, but he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. So you know what he did? He took that little pet lamb from that poor man, and he killed it, and he served it for supper. King David, outraged. He hears the story. That's outrageous. He's furious. He says, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. He didn't really mean die, die, because he goes on to say, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. He's outraged. David's thinking, how can somebody do that? Unthinkable. (laughs) David has no trouble spotting the horrific offense of the rich man taking the poor man's pet lamb when he has no vision for the plank in his own eye that he took a man's wife. One of his own soldier's wives and then had the soldier killed to get him out of the way and cover it up. Nathan. Nathan says to David, You are the man. And he continues. Thus says the Lord, 
the God of Israel. I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and you have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. And moments later, David could see. And he said, I have sinned against the Lord. Now, beware. I mean, if you say, man, David is an idiot. <laughs> How dumb can he be? <laughs> Don't. <laughs> just climb into it. We're just like David. We're just like David. And a couple thoughts are come to mind. You know, in, in marriage counseling, one of the sentences I appreciate from Paul Tripp, one of the many sentences I appreciate from Paul Tripp is often, this is a good saying in marriage counseling, I am the biggest problem in our marriage, not you. Often. Not always. This self-assessment, it, it reminds me of the parable of the unforgiving servant. This is Matthew 18. Remember the man who's forgiven much from the king goes out and grabs somebody by the throat who owes him a little and says, pay me what you owe me. Don't you know him? Have you no sense of justice? We don't see our own sins in God's eyes and we don't see our own sins before other people. So, where does that leave us? I think of David's prayer. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and see if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And doctrine of sin. All have sinned. All? Yeah, even me. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we need God's grace, forgiveness, and mercy. And you think about it, if your impulse is, man, but that other person is wrong and I really got to tell him. <laughs> Jesus is saying, that's not the problem. <laughs> Start here. Then you will see clearly to point out the speck in your brother's eye. But get the emphasis. Start here. Think of Galatians 6.1. If 
anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual ought to restore him in a spirit of gentleness. But watch yourself lest you too be tempted. There's a way for correction to happen. And there's a, I want to say almost a recipe here for it to happen well, with higher probability of doing well. And it won't come when you in self-righteousness go pointing out all the problems of other people. Don't expect it to go well. But if you come as a log puller, humble before God and humble before others, and you say to your brother or sister or family member or spouse, um, I got logs, and I'm seeing them, and God is helping me with them, forgiving me. I'm fighting the fight of faith there, but brother, sister, let me point out a speck that you have. Amazing, it'll go a whole lot better. Well, there we are. The blind leader. This is review. The blind leader. Commit yourself to following the teacher who sees, the teacher who is the light of the world, and beware of blind leaders you will follow them to your own peril. Number two, the aspiring student. Commit yourself to be under your teacher, your master, your Lord Jesus, becoming like him. And beware of attempts to exalt yourself over him and change him into your image. That's idolatry and sin. And number three, the helpful hypocrite. Commit yourself to an ever-present awareness of your own sins and shortcomings and therefore have an ever-present, ongoing, constant sense of God's grace and forgiveness and restoration in Christ. And then and only then might you or I be helpful in pointing out the specks that are in our brothers' and sisters' eyes. Let me pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word. Thanks for this teaching of Jesus. And I pray that you would bind it all up, this sermon on the plain that we would live in a manner worthy of the kingdom of heaven, worthy of Christ, worthy of the gospel in all these ways as we walk by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave him up for us. Thank you so much for your mercy. Thank you so much that you who began a good work in us will bring it on to completion at the day of Christ. Um, Grant us faith and grace as we live, I pray. For your glory, in Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others. 
but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720-13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.